Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Everyone good? Got your Bibles? Notebooks? Most importantly, our hearts are ready. Um, I'm going to jump into the Word just a moment. But the last... Um, the last few weeks, or let me, let, me, let me say this, what I really feel stirred right now is I'm really, I'm, I really feel stirred and provoked by the second coming of the Lord. Uh, I feel it's something that God is really inviting us to, to dive deeper into uh, in this year, and I feel like God really wants to, to mark us with this. And one of the things specifically that, that I see God doing right now is marking us with an intercessory cry to come. And this is what we were speaking about last week. If you were here, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And I feel the Lord is really awakening something in this house, and He wants to continue to do that. Where we are, we're burning. We're longing and yearning for, for Jesus to come. And I'm going to give some space again to quickly talk about, uh, at some point, we'll get into what the Lord's doing with this bridegroom fast. I know a lot of you were here last week, you heard about it, or you saw it online it's something God's inviting us into for this upcoming year. This past week, we engaged in it, and it was, man, it was just really fruitful. Part of what Pat was sharing, I think, is just the fruit, the, the overflow of, of a fasting's powerful, but when you unify in it, wow, there's blessing and unity too. So you're talking about something so dynamic when a church comes together in corporate unity to really fast and seek after God. So we'll get, we'll get into that more, but it's really rooted in this, this intercessory cry for the Lord to come. And I feel so deeply that God, God wants to stamp our hearts with the reality of eternity. I really feel God wants to stamp it in our hearts, the reality of eternity. Say, what do I mean? I I don't know about you, but for me, I wholeheartedly believe, I I agree, I'm like, I know he's coming, but I feel the Lord wants to do something more than just having us believe that he's going to return, but that he wants it to become something that really touches and impacts our lives. Where we're not just saying, yes, I believe, I know it's a core doctrine that Jesus is coming, but that actually my life is being affected by that. There's actually a longing and a yearning, and and because I know of a future day where he's coming, I'm changing the way I'm living now because I know of that day. Like, there's so much that happens when we start living in light of eternity. It doesn't produce escapism from this world, that's not what we want, but it actually causes us to embrace this world with more passion, with wisdom. Uh, Psalm 90.12, the psalmist writes, Teach me to number my days that I may grow in wisdom. In other words, the psalmist is saying, God, would you awaken me to the reality of life is so short, the brevity of life that we're here today, gone tomorrow, and that everything matters. And that's not like a walking around fearful, like, oh my goodness. It's actually incredible that every little thing matters before the Lord and every day counts and we want to redeem the time. And when we start knowing that there's a day where the Lord is coming, wisdom touches our life. We actually start longing for wisdom to make right choices knowing we have one life, right? And we want to make the most of it and we want to do the most with this glorious gift that God's given us, which is called new life. Uh, When we start living in light of eternity, I feel hope touches our hearts. Like we understand no matter what we're surrounded by, and when we know that there's a future day, the Lord says we're all pain, suffering, brokenness will be eradicated. No matter what we walk through, there's hope that we, that we carry with us. Um, living in light of eternity helps deliver us from the obsession with temporal things. 
I don't know about you, but my heart continually, I have to continually fight it. It's always wandering and wants to get glued into things that have no eternal value. But when I keep before me that there's a day coming where the Lord, the Lord will return, it helps me to actually properly discern and say, this has no value, this does, right? So there's so many other things, but I feel the Lord really wants to stamp eternity into our hearts. And, and more specifically, over the last few weeks, what we've been talking about is this concept of Advent. And what I feel the Lord is really doing right now is he's helping us to make a connection between the first and second Advent. What does that mean? Advent means the coming of the Lord. And we've been now talking about this for a few weeks. We, we started with the first Advent leading into Christmas, and that's appropriate. We take time to celebrate and acknowledge and just, just get filled with gratitude that he came. But as believers, we're now living, as I've said often over the last few weeks, we're living in the tension of two Advents. So he's come, but the one that came, he's coming again. And it's really important that we, that we grasp this in our hearts that, let me put it this way, the cross is unto the crown. See, the one who came and died and gave up his life and delivered us from the bondage of sin and darkness and now resurrected and ascended, he didn't just vanish. <laughs> he didn't like just do all this work and vanish, but the one who did all these things was caught up and now is reigning and ruling from the right hand of God. He's a victorious king who's reigning with a crown. And from the heavenly place, he's actually ruling the nations. And one day he's going to return. And what he's doing right now is going to be manifested in its fullness. And everything on this earth will come under this king. So the cross is unto the crown. And I feel what happens a lot, I'll speak for myself, is we labor over the cross and rightfully so. But we don't make the connection that there's a crown involved with this. Like, again, he didn't just die and leave and gone forever. <laughs> the cross is unto the crown, and, and we should forever study the cross, but we need to know that he's a reigning king and he's coming back because once that happens, we recognize that it's more than just saying a prayer, but we know that when he, he's coming back, and therefore everything in my life right now really matters before him. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago we talked about rewards. I'm going to get back into that. That's so important to know that our lives and our small decisions really matter. And one day we'll come before the Lord and God, we're going to be shocked that every small decision and every small yes God took notice of. And he's actually going to reward at the judgment seat of Christ. So I, I just, I wholeheartedly feel God wants to stamp eternity into our hearts. Um, knowing that the cross is unto a crown also teaches us that history it's not just a succession of meaningless circles, but, we're, but there's actually a directed movement toward a glorious climactic end called the return of the Lord, <laughs> the day of the Lord. Um, because of Bethlehem, we actually now know in some form where we stand on that timeline. Meaning because of the first coming, we know where we stand. We know that he's already come and therefore the next thing to happen, big thing, is that he will return again. And it's so important to know this because if, if we separate the two comings of the Lord, salvation is not complete. And if you tear salvation in half, you're left with a half salvation, and a half salvation is not salvation at all. And for a lot of reasons, again, sometimes it's just we don't actually understand what's going to happen when he returns, or we're so fixated on these things that we're not thinking about it, we don't understand that. You, we can't separate his two comings. We must live in light of his second coming because that is the completion of our salvation. The Bible says threefold. We were saved, 
We're being saved, and then we will be saved. You say, what do you mean? It's all connected to one moment, really, but it's threefold. You were saved. The technical word is justified. The moment you and I came into right relationship with God, we believed upon the Son, you and I were made right, justified before a holy God. You are righteous. Your sin put on Christ, his righteousness imputed to you. But now, yeah, that's good news. <laughs> From that one decision you made, salvation is now working itself out in your life. That's called sanctification. So you didn't just say a prayer and that's it. Now God, by his grace, is actually conforming you and changing you more and more into the image of his son. But it doesn't just stop there. One day he's going to return and the sanctification process will be completed with an exclamation point called glorification. And me and you and our bodies will be redeemed, glorified, all sin eradicated, pain, brokenness. So the, 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 the first coming is actually causing us to long for him to return to finish what he started, to complete the redemption. And so we cry out, Messiah, come. We cry out, bridegroom, come. We long for that day. And so I want to really quick show you in the scriptures this connection between the first and second coming. Once again, like we did last week, and then I want to invite us back into this, this intercessory cry. I want to awaken this groan in our hearts for, it's nice and windy in here. <laughs> I want us to get the groan awakened in our heart to come. I feel this year more than ever there is a grace for us to step into what it means to really long for the Lord. And I'll say it again. I feel God wants to take us beyond just believing that he's returning and actually start to have our hearts longing for it. Longing for it. So let's look at Titus, if you would. Let's look at the book of Titus. And again, we're looking at first the first advent connected to the second advent. First coming unto the second coming. And then we're going we're gonna to break this thing open with a cry for come. We're going to look at a word, an Aramaic word called Maranatha today. I believe it's going to grip our hearts. So everyone there, Titus chapter 2. I want you to see this in the word. I want you to see it for yourself. We're going to see this clear... Um, connection. Last week, if you remember, we shared in Hebrews 9, 27, 28, that the one who came, it says he will appear a second time, but not to deal with sin, because he already did that the first time. He's coming for those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so we're going to see once again this, this strong connection. The two comings are inseparable. So here we go, verse 11, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And this is what Paul this is what is written here Paul, by Paul. He says, For the grace of God has appeared. <laughs> what's he talking about? He's talking about the first appearance of Jesus, which is the first coming. You with me? He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So Paul begins with locking us into the first advent. Beloved, 2,000 years ago, right around there, grace appeared. <laughs> a man named Grace came to this earth and brought salvation to all people. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And when we were bound in sin, when our hearts were bent towards or away from the Lord, Grace showed up and his name is Jesus. 
and through his life and death and what he accomplished in his resurrection, he made a way for us to come out of what we were in that we could not do for ourselves. Bringing salvation for all people. And this grace is still available today. And I want, let's look at verse 12. Here's what the power of grace does in this first coming. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And here's what grace is doing right now. Training us. Grace is teaching. Grace is, is mentoring. Grace is leading us to what? To renounce ungodliness. Grace is teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. <laughs> this is incredible. 2,000 years ago, grace showed up and touched our lives. And we're still feeling the, the effects of that, for this grace wasn't a one-time thing. But it's working through our lives right now, sanctifying us by empowering us to put to death things that were actually putting us to death. This is, this is incredible. But we have to see this. Grace is a man. Grace is not just a doctrine. Like a statement of, tr of truth didn't just show up, but a man named Grace. Why is this important? Because what I find happen a lot is we hold to doctrinal truths, but they're void of relationship with the man who stands behind those truths. And if you just come under a truth, but it's void of connecting with the one who empowers that truth, that truth is not transformative. It lacks power. So what happens is, is with grace, we come under grace. But if you don't know the man grace and are encountering grace, that man, what happens is, is we get stuck in sin cycles and we just say, I'm under grace, I'm under grace, I'm under grace, but I'm not changing because the power of that statement is found in knowing the man grace. And so grace appeared, meaning a man named grace appeared. And as we engage and encounter this man, and this grace, our lives are changed, and it's doing something deep within our lives that's actually causing a yearning and a longing for him to come back and complete and finalize what he did. And that's what it's saying right here. Look at verse 13. Here's what's happening. Look what Paul writes. Waiting for our blessed hope. Some translations put the eagerly in there as well. This is exactly what Paul uh, or the writer of Hebrews, there's some, some discrepancy, but the writer of Hebrews said last week that we went through nine, chapter 9, 27, 28, that Jesus is coming back for those who are eagerly waiting. Here it says that those who have been touched by grace as a, at his first appearance and are now being changed by this grace are eagerly waiting for what? For our blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? Listen to what it says. The appearing... See, here's where Paul invites us into the second coming now. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Paul says, grace appeared, touched our lives. And, and what happened when grace appeared is, is something touched our lives that we're living in still now. And actually now we're longing for glory to appear. Grace appeared first. And what's going to come next, Paul says, is glory will appear. And we are in the gap between these two comings, longing for the one who touched our lives to, again, bring it into completion. Redemption being completed in our lives. In fact, what's happening here is Paul is saying is that the first coming, grace is actually training us to long for the second coming. What grace initiated, Paul is saying glory is going to finish. And so it's actually as we taste. See, here's what's happening is the life in the spirit is actually the, fruit, the future age. It's the age to come. 
But the age to come, the life of the Spirit, has come into our lives now. And even though we're living in the present age, the future realities are now affecting and touching our lives by, while, while we live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it says in Ephesians, is a down payment or a foretaste of what is to come. Which means when grace touched our lives and the Spirit of grace lived in us, we are so tasting these future realities that it's saying, oh my goodness, I want everything. <laughs> I want it all. Lord, come back. I pray that you would come, Lord, because what I'm experiencing now, I don't want to wait any longer. I want everything that you've purchased for us. Paul says grace is training us. The fact that grace appeared is training us for when the glory will appear once and for all. It's glorious news. <laughs> what are we hoping for? Paul says grace appeared in verse 11. Verse 13 says we are waiting for our blessed hope. What are we hoping for? The appearing of Jesus. What is, what is humanity hoping for? So important. We are not hoping that we will perfectly map out a timeline out of events that will lead to his return. We are not hoping for even heaven. That's not our hope. Our hope is that a man is going to appear again. The entire hope of humanity is that this man, this God-man Jesus, is coming back to the earth. And Paul, I want, I want to be so clear, Paul says that th when he says hope, I feel like a lot of times we're not careful. We adopt worldly understandings of terms that the, that the Bible, it's not how it's used. And, and some of you may be aware of this, but when we talk about hope, like in our culture, when you say hope, we actually use hope in a way that promotes uncertainty more than it does certainty. So we say things like, I hope I'll get a job. <laughs> you know, I hope this will work out. And what we're really saying is that actually I'm more, I, I'm more questioning if this will happen than it, than it will happen. But biblically, that's the complete opposite of hope. When Paul says there is a blessed hope coming, he says you have the full assurance. You have the confident expectation that the one who came will come again. Not maybe, not if, not finger crossing. The glory is coming in a way. Here's what I love too is that when we pray for God to come, if you remember there's, there's like three types, we're praying for God to first waves of this coming to come before he comes once and for all. We want the glory of God to come even now, knowing that one day, once and for all, it'll come in its fullness. But it's not, it's not maybe it'll happen. He, it, it's a firm expectation. One of the most dominant expressions of Jesus in the scriptures is this. You've probably heard this. It says, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Well, you know what's fascinating? In the book of Revelation, Chapter 16, verse 5. I won't get into all the details, but by the Spirit, John is writing something. And John uses that expression, but he changes it. John says, the one who was and the one who is. And then he keeps writing. <laughs> you know why? Because the one who is to come had come. <laughs> Someday, that expression will be irrelevant. <laughs> Someday, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come will no longer need to say that last part. For the one who is to come has come. <laughs> We're not looking anymore for that. It is a confident hope that it's going to take place. And so I, I believe, guys, I so, so firmly believe God wants to impart a grace to eagerly wait for his coming and to cry out for this. Come, Lord Jesus. And again, I'll explain in a moment. There's different types of this. It's not just the once and for all coming. We're crying out when we gather in this city, in our lives. But I believe, believe God wants to do that. And if that, if that feels foreign, because honestly, it does in my life a lot. I go through seasons. I believe there's a grace that we can step into if we lift, 
like bring our hearts under what we're saying today. I want you to know that the hope and the waiting that we're partaking in as believers, we're not waiting like a convict on death row waiting for his execution. (laughs) Here's the imagery I have. I said, Lord, what are we waiting like? He says, you're waiting like a child for the last day of school, (laughs) knowing that the last day of school is the beginning of summer vacation. (laughs) This is how we're waiting. We're not like, oh my goodness, dreading. No, we long. We... 2 Timothy 4, 8, guys, this scripture rocked me this week. Paul's writing about rewards. He says, I look forward to when Jesus comes with a crown of righteousness. And he says this, not just for me, but for all the saints who, ready? He says, who loved his appearing. Who loved his appearing. Loved his appearing, again, means not that we just agree that he's appearing, but, but, but our heart wants it. I'm not saying it dominates every single thought, because I get that. You can love someone. It doesn't mean every single thought is, is on that, but definitely it comes back to it. Over and over, our hearts long for it. We yearn for it. We love his appearing. It's that cry, come, Lord Jesus. And, and I, I just I see the Lord awakening us to loving his appearing. The appearings that we have now, the waves of it, and then once and for all, the appearing that will happen when he comes in the sky. And if, if, you, if you struggle with really like entering into this and feeling it, the scripture is actually right here. I see Paul give us three things to awaken our hearts, to love his appearing, to long for, to eagerly wait for. What is this hope that's coming? Three things, Paul says. Or probably more, but that's what I, I see the Lord highlighting to me. Number one, the hope that's coming is a blessed hope. <laughs> he says we are eagerly waiting our blessed hope. Do you know what the opposite of blessed is? cursed. (laughs) Guys, your future as a believer is not a cursed future. You have a blessed future. (laughs) This is so important. The blessed, the blessed hope, here's the way I summarize, meaning everything that sin has touched and affected, which think about, that's everything. Why is there sickness? Why is there identity issues? Why is there emotional issues? Why is, why is there friction between man? Why is there just Why is there brokenness all around that we look? It's because of sin. But there is a day coming, the blessed hope, when everything that is wrong will be made right. And the justice of God will come. And he will come as a righteous judge. And he will make all things right. And he'll wipe away every pain, every tear, every ounce of suffering in your life. This is blessed. So we long and say, we're going to look in upcoming week how the elect, it says, cry out day and night for the justice of God to come. We're crying out for his kingdom to come. Lord, let your justice come, God. Write everything that is wrong. Not just the future date, but do it now. <laughs> it's so important that you and I grasp that our future is blessed. I, I, this like stirs a longing for it. I, I feel one of the, I don't know, the mistakes we make is that when we hear blessed, I feel like a lot, yeah, there can be an abuse of this, but I feel a lot of people are like, oh, that's wrong to ask God to bless you. Like that's some prosperity thing. No, 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 beloved. If God doesn't bless you, you can't do anything. It's actually pride to think we shouldn't be longing, saying, God, you must bless me. You must bless this work. You must bless this city, because if you don't bless it, we can't do anything. When God created Adam and Eve, what's the first thing he did? Bless them. Then they were fruitful and multiplied. Some of us are trying to be fruitful multiplying in our work, but we don't have God's blessing on it. (laughs) It's, It's humility to say, God, you have to bless this. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. 
And the angel said, let me go. And what did Jacob say? I will not let you go until you bless me. Israel understood we need the blessing of God. Your future hope is a blessed hope. God's blessing in its fullness is coming to the earth. How can we not say, Lord Jesus, come, come? But it's not only a blessed hope. He says in verse 13, we're waiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, the appearing, which means our hope is blessed and it's also a visible hope. It's a visible hope. Oh my goodness, this is incredible. Ever since the Son of God walked on the earth, men and women have been longing to see him face to face. Do you understand that our hope is a visible hope? <laughs> Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. <laughs> you want to see him? Come and see. <laughs> Zacchaeus so wanted to see Jesus that he climbed up a sycamore tree just so that he could lock eyes with him. In John 12, after the triumphal entry, it says a number of Greeks came to Philip and said, we desire to see Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, after going through the gifts, Paul says, now we see dimly, as if it's a reflection of a mirror. But he says, but one day you will see him face to face. Guys, right now we walk by faith and not by sight. But one day you will walk by sight. <laughs> Can you imagine this? One day we will see the lips of the eternal word. One day we will see his eyes. One day we will see the Holy One. One day we will see the Ancient of Days. One day we will lock eyes with the bright morning star. And in that moment, by seeing him, we will come into the immediate awareness that he is the ultimate fulfillment of every longing of our heart. Everything I wanted was actually first and foremost found in him. What a blessed hope, what a visible hope that Jesus is coming. And the last thing is that it's a glorious hope. For it says... We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God. Grace appeared at his first coming. Glory is appearing at his second coming. Man, God had us locked into this today. Do you know that every heart, whether they know it or not, they might not put language to it. What they long for is the glory of God. Moses' cry that I actually read today, that's not some like crazy cry of just one man. He was, he was lifting up a heart cry of humanity. For we were created for that glory realm, and sin, sin cut us off from it. And now every heart is saying, God, show us your glory. And there's a day coming. <laughs> there's a day coming when the glory of God will appear. And it will cover everything. And our hearts, I don't even know, that's why we need to have glorified bodies, because we literally, I, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, we would short-circuit if the fullness of God's glory came now. That, that is why some people, when they encounter God, there's actually where they tremble and literally can fall before the Lord. You, you can't handle the fullness of his glory. I, I, I said it before. How many, have ever, how many have ever gone outside on a summer day and looked up at the sun, right? I don't know about you, but for me, maybe it's my eyes are more sensitive, but I've got like a split second before I've got to put my head down and my eyes are watering. How far away is the sun, right? He made the sun. He made the sun. I can't even look at something he made that is how many light years away. What will happen when he comes before me? The blinding light of his glory. 
Revelation says that the glory of God, there'll be no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God will fill the earth, and the lamp is the Lamb. The lamp is the Lamb. If you want to know this glory, read Revelation 1. Look at the characteristics of Jesus. This is what we're going to lock eyes with. So your hope is blessed, it's visible, and it's glorious, and therefore it's producing a yearning and an eagerly waiting, saying, Come, Lord Jesus. So do we long for it? (laughs) Do we eagerly await this? Do we long for his appearing? I said, God wants to awaken the cry of come. I firmly and wholeheartedly believe this is the Advent cry. The first coming was, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Rescue Israel, right? The second cry, the second Advent, it's the same cry. It's O come. Revelation 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. The same thing that was marking Israel for the first coming is marking the church today, saying, Lord, you have to come. We long for it. And I want to just give vision into that because it's connected to what's happening in this prayer room. God's establishing us this year more than ever to come together with this intercessory cry, come Lord Jesus. And I want to show you another part. Like we did last week, I want to show you another place that will just, it's so beautiful. So come to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You guys follow me? (laughs) The first advent is unto the second advent. So it's appropriate, even though Christmas has passed, that we would talk about now how the first coming is preparing our hearts for the second coming. He's coming back for a bride that's eagerly awaiting him. 1 Corinthians 16, and I'm going to look specifically at verse 21, 22. This connects to where we were last week, and it connects to this expression. He's coming back for those eagerly awaiting. I see God wanting to put this in our hearts today and in the upcoming weeks. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21, this is what Paul says. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. In the Greek, that's anathema. You may have heard that. But here's the the last part of this verse I want us to lock into for a few moments. Then Paul says, our Lord, come. Our Lord, come. And this expression right here gripped the early church, and honestly, it gripped the church for many centuries after that. And I believe God wants to grip us again with this expression, our Lord, come. Now this word, I want to just teach really quick, and then we could break it open. This word is an Aramaic word, this phrase, our Lord come. It's an Aramaic phrase. How many of you have ever heard the word Maranatha? This means Maranatha. Now, Maranatha is an Aramaic word that is actually, it's, it's actually two words. It's Marin and then Atha. And here's what's so beautiful, is since the early church period, over the centuries, there's actually been a lot of debate on exactly how to put those words together and therefore, what is the proper translation? And what's, what's been debated is that actually there are three translations of this word that have existed over the church period, and all of them are biblically true and come under Pauline theology. And I actually believe that part of it is, it's actually a divine thing. And people have said that, that part of this, part of the ambiguity is actually something divine, that it's actually meant to encompass all of this. So check this out. 
One of the phrases that this means, it could mean is, our Lord has come. It's a statement of fact. The other thing it can mean is another statement of fact, but it's future. Our Lord is coming. Or, as I just read in the ESV, it could be written as a like cry or a plea, which is, Lord, come. So the fullness of Maranatha is, our Lord has come. Our Lord is coming. So come, Lord. <laughs> It's like the entirety of the gospel in one expression. Our Lord has come. Our Lord is coming. So we stand in the gap and feeling the glory of the first coming, we are longing for that second coming. Guys, I believe God wants this in our heart and he wants it part of our vocabulary. Say it with me, Maranatha. <laughs> God wants you to, I feel, really feel this is going to be a word that's going to come out more and more from this body. Our Lord, Come. Come, Lord Jesus. One other thing that's really interesting on this word is it's Aramaic. Now just bear with me for a moment. I'll make this really simple. But that is really strange because the majority of the New Testament is written in Greek. So why in the world would Paul place an Aramaic word in a letter that's written in Greek to a Greek-speaking church, especially Corinth? And I was just like, like pouring over this over the last actually two weeks and, and the, the, the wide consensus is, part of it, is that this word actually served as a sort of code word or password for the early church. They were actually facing intense persecution from the Romans, and the Romans had no understanding of this word, but in the Christian community, they taught on it. And one of the ways that Christians would identify one another is they would say, Maranatha. And if the, a person understood what that word meant, our Lord come, or he has come, he is coming, they knew that he was a brother or sister in the Lord, and they were a safe person to engage with. One of the amazing things is that Paul writes this at the end of the letter, and the belief is, is that when the early church would gather in secret under such persecution, they would start their gatherings by saying Maranatha, and then they would close their gatherings as he closed this letter by saying Maranatha. In other words, they had a Maranatha mindset. They were marked by the vital hope of their soon coming king. And they were constantly putting this before them, saying he's coming, so that even though they were facing such hostility, they were locked into the hope of their coming king. And listen, I believe, I believe the Lord wants us to have a Maranatha mindset. Guys, I, 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 so, I can't shake this, that God wants this stuff like coming deep from within our heart. I believe the Lord wants to release a spirit of intercession on this house that we have never seen before. It is a spirit of intercession that is purified, saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. As we said before, yes, once and for all, but come now. We need you. We can't do it in our own strength. We don't have the skills. We can't advertise our way into seeing a revival. Lord, we need you to come. We need your glory to come. Romans 8 says all of creation is groaning. It's groaning. All of creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, they're, they're groaning for the king to come. And the scriptures say even us as God's children enter into that groan. And the spirit of God will lead us to groan when the things are too deep for words. This is like a spirit. This is a deep crying out to the deep of God. It's like, come Lord Jesus. And as I said last week, we can't study our way into this. I believe God needs to awaken it by grace. By actually knowing what it means that he's coming and just encountering his desire to come is going to produce something deep within our hearts. Listen, if you're discouraged, Maranatha, <laughs> our Lord, come. If you're filled with worry, Maranatha. If you're lovesick, 
Maranatha. If you have anxiety over the troubles of today, Maranatha. <laughs> like, lift it up. Maranatha, when we say it, we're essentially saying Matthew 6. Lord, thy kingdom come. We want the king and his kingdom to come. And I believe God, God is establishing houses of prayer that, that this is becoming like what's the primary thing that's coming forth is Lord Jesus come. I believe God wants this cry to disrupt our lives in the most glorious way. God wants to disrupt our lives with this cry. And I mean that in the most beautiful, glorious way. Meaning I'm so busy trying to create my own life. And God says, would you live for something bigger? Would you actually seek first my kingdom and watch how I'll take care of every other thing? Would you lock into the largest story for which I've made you? He wants to disrupt our lives. Guys, how can we go about business as normal? This, I'm just sharing what the Lord's speaking to me. How can we not be marked with this bridegroom ache when this is the imagery that Jesus gives? He says, I'm the bridegroom and I came to this earth. And the picture is all of creation was doing the wedding march. <laughs> the music was playing. The bridegroom is here. We were approaching the altar. They saw him face to face. And then right before the altar, he was taken. He says, I will come again. <laughs> How can the bride go about business as usual? And that is what is taking place. The bride is longing to say, would you come and complete this day, the wedding day? All of history will climax in this day. And so this, this cry, I feel like what God wants to do in my heart, and I know there's a lot of things, is, is it delivers me from apathy. It sets me free. Like it awakens me from spiritual slumber. It grounds me and gets me focused on the right things. It keeps me sharp, saying, my, bride, my bridegroom is coming. And what I was sharing last week really quick is I, I believe that this cry, Maranatha, our Lord, come, the exclamation point is fasting. <laughs> the exclamation point is fasting to this cry. And so if you were with us last week, um, I mentioned this briefly, but I, I want to share it again because I want us to have really clear vision for this. Um, we, are, we are joining in to what's called the bridegroom fast. You can call it a Maranatha fast. But it's, it's from this ache of come, Lord Jesus. And the fast specifically came out of Matthew 9, 14 and 15. When Jesus was asked, why does his disciples not fast? He said, well, because I'm still with them. I'm the bridegroom. But one day I will be taken, and then the bride will mourn, and they will fast. <laughs> Jesus says they will fast not because they have to, but because they long for nearness to me. It's a new paradigm for fasting. And God has invited us to join in with something that's happening around the globe. This started in 2002, the Bridegroom Fast, in a church in Missouri. And, and it's basically, it's the first week of the month, specifically we're doing Wednesday through Friday. So the first Wednesday through Friday, we are fasting those three days, and you can fast all different ways, you don't have to do the full thing. But we're fasting, and we're specifically saying, come Lord Jesus. And we're gathering in the prayer room around this. We may, we may lift up this cry in the weeks between, but we're fasting specifically for this. And when we say, come Lord Jesus... There's really three types. One, we're saying, come like an individual breakthrough. Come to my heart. Like, change me deeply inside. The second is, come to our, our region. Come to our city and bring revival. And then the third thing is, come to us in the sky. That's the historical breakthrough. So there's, there's individual breakthrough. There's city breakthrough. And then there's the historical breakthrough. So when we say, come Lord Jesus, it's not just the once and for all, but there's these, these different aspects. You follow me? The Lord has really shown me this week something I never connected, that 
I want you to hear this. It's very important. I think it's beautiful. Fasting is the counterpart to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is Holy Communion. And when we partake in Holy Communion, we have more than just the bread and the wine. Actually, right Holy Communion is a feast. They called it the love feast. When Jesus broke the bread and gave out the, the wine, he actually, they had a meal first. And what's amazing is Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, we feast in remembrance of the one who came and all the things that have come because he came. <laughs> but then we fast for him to come again. In one sense, we feast for what has already happened. We celebrate and rejoice of all that's taken place because he came. But then in the other sense, we fast for what has yet to take place. And I believe this, the Lord is asking us, signs we feast and say, Lord, thank you. <laughs> and there's times we fast and say, but I know there's still more to come. And it's actually, it's actually the feasting on his first coming that produces a desire to fast for his second coming. It's tasting these realities, like I said before, that creates a groan for him to come. It creates an ache to say, I want all of it. John Piper, John Piper said this, in just quoting what happened when Jesus first came, this is what we feast on. And let this produce a, a desire to fast for him to come. He says, our guilt is removed when he came. Our condemnation and punishment has been canceled. Our reconciliation with God is accomplished. Our bondage to sin is broken. Our enemy has been brought to nothing. The sting of death is removed. The destiny of hell is averted. Eternal life has been given. The Lord has come. <laughs> so when we take the Lord's Supper, we eat these things, we taste them, and then it produces a hunger and ache to say, God, come again. The Lord, come again. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I was going to take us into a section of scripture by a woman by the name of Anna, uh, but we'll save that for an upcoming week. But it gives a beautiful, clear picture of what this looks like. So I just want to give some space uh, for those who need to go. As always, there's, please, please feel free. For those with kids, if you need to grab the kids. And in fact, we ask if you have a child, as soon as I'm done praying here, if you can grab the child, feel free to bring them back in. Um, but I do want to give space to just respond to all that the Lord is speaking this morning. And I'm not going to even dare try to summarize all those things, but I just trust Holy Spirit is speaking and inviting us into the Maranatha cry, the bridegroom cry. There's an anointing that God wants to put on this body to awaken us to this groan. And again, to be so clear, 
It's a come into my individual life. It's a come into the city. And then it's a come once and for all. And so as we worship, I just want to give room for the altar for you to respond. We can have people lay hands if that's what you'd like. Or if you just want to respond between you and the Lord. But I feel that grace is available to to step into this and to love his appearing. So Lord, I just pray for this house and this upcoming year. God, you would mark us, you would mark us, Lord, with this Maranatha cry. Lord, you would mark us with this bridal cry. Lord, that more than ever, we would hunger for you to come. God, we would recognize that you are drawn not to our strengths, but to our weaknesses. And as we yield ourselves and acknowledge our need for you to come, you respond mightily. And so even now, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray for you to come and touch hearts and bring breakthrough to hearts. We pray even now that you would come to this city. We pray you would revive Mastic Beach. We pray you would revive Long Island. We pray you would revive this nation, Lord. Lord, like Anna, we will press in night and day to this one thing. We are waiting for the redemption of the earth. We are longing and looking. And Lord, just as when you come once and for all, it will be blessed, visible, and glorious, I thank you that the waves of coming that precede that will also be blessed and visible and glorious. So Holy Spirit, weed things out of our lives that dull us to this. We even now just renounce things that have taken our attention and affection towards this. And we say, Holy Spirit, awaken it in us. Awaken it in us. May an anointing fall on this body like never before. We pray for a holy anointing when we gather in the prayer room. One voice, one ache. That you would come, Lord.